Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As we continue celebrating Easter, Bishop takes a closer look at John's account of the resurrection, specifically the passage always read during the Easter Sunday morning Mass. He breaks down the meaning behind events recounted in the passage, like Mary Magdalene arriving at the tomb while it was still dark outside, Peter going into the tomb first, and why seeing the burial cloths was important. All this, Bishop says, brings us to the final stage of human evolution, the new Adam. Hear more in this episode. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Happy Easter, Bishop. Happy Easter, Kyle. People may not know that Easter is a season, not just a day. It's yeah. a, and even as the day, it's a, an octave for eight days, but the Easter season is 50 days. So we're still celebrating. Yes, up until the day of Pentecost when we reach the apex of the Christmas season. So I'm glad this is the longest liturgical season in the year because it's such a joyful and hopeful season. Yeah, I, I think some people move on so quickly from Easter and kind of get into an ordinary routine that we we focus, I think, a lot more on Lent maybe than we do yeah. on Easter. Yeah, but we are that's, an Easter people. That's true. That's true. You know, one of the things that I notice, I do a lot of confirmations in the Easter season, so that's very appropriate. I can't do them all in the Easter season because I have too many confirmations, uh-huh. but but that's certainly an Easter sacrament as is the Holy Eucharist is the greatest sacrament, the sacrament of sacraments, and and First Holy Communions are in the Easter season. And, of course, baptisms, especially at the Easter Vigil. Uh-huh. So the three sacraments of initiation are really Easter sacraments. The ordinations are also in the Easter season. As a matter of fact, hmm. the Saturday after Easter, Easter Saturday, the seventh day of the octave of Easter, I ordained three young men to the priesthood, who are members of the Congregation of Holy Cross. So I ordained them at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame. And it was certainly an Easter celebration, the music, because yeah. it was still the octave of Easter. So it was all Easter music. Right. It was in that context that, that we celebrated the ordination. So at least as bishop, I'm experiencing Easter a lot with all the celebrations. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to talk about Easter today. Before we do, I want to thank this week's episode sponsor, which is Keith and Cindy Turner. Thank you for your support of Spoke Street Media for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, and thanks for listening as well. I think last time we talked, if I remember right, we were talking about the passion, specifically John's account of that, the gospel according to John, and his account of the resurrection. Uh, where do we start here? Well, I mean, even on Divine Mercy Sunday, the eighth day of the octave of Easter, we read from St. John and mm-hmm. his appearance that first Easter evening to the apostles in the upper room, and Thomas wasn't there, and, you know, Jesus showed them his wounds, his side, his hands and feet, and that's the same time that Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them, whose sins you shall retain are retained. So there's other things in John's gospel, but I think the gospel that we hear on Easter Sunday morning is what I'd like to focus on. And that's the discovery of the empty tomb. We could talk about the appearances of Jesus, but I think that every year it's significant that the church always has that gospel. Now, the Easter Vigil gospel, it will be either from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But Easter Sunday morning, it's always John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. 
So I love to reflect on this because there's a lot of meaning in it. And when you think about it, we're, the evangelists have different perspectives, different, you know, it was an oral tradition that passed on. So there's different variances in the accounts about what was there at the empty tomb. Some talk about angel appearing, et cetera, or angels. But in John's account, of course, we're talking here about the most overwhelming event in human history. So, and it's, it's at the center of our faith. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus is the crowning truth of our faith. If there was no resurrection, there'd be no Christianity, there'd be no church. So this is of extreme importance. I mean, St. Paul writes a lot about it. But I love, I always love John's gospel because of the theological depth. And he talks about Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb. And of course, Mary Magdalene had been there at the foot of the cross. So why was she going to the tomb? Mm -hmm. Well, she was going to mourn. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had this great love for Jesus. I don't know if she had hope when she went to the tomb that he might have risen from dead. It doesn't seem like she had that hope because when she saw the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, she thought and she presumed that grave robbers had taken Jesus's body away. Right. So, so she wasn't expecting or... She didn't go to the tomb thinking that, yeah, it's going to be empty. Jesus will have risen from the dead. Mm -hmm. Might be good to just read that gospel and talk about it some more. It says in John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, on the first day of the week, by the way, that's Sunday. Okay. For Christians, that is our holy day. So on the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. St. Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Now, the details here are important. I mean, first of all, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early in the morning, and, and John adds that thing while it was still dark. Mm -hmm. Now, this theme of light and darkness you see throughout John's gospel. Right. So there's something meaningful in his bringing that to the fore, that it was still dark. In the sense, the pre-dawn darkness, I think, symbolizes her own sadness and loss of hope. You know, she was still in the dark about what had happened, okay? She didn't know about the resurrection. And it doesn't seem like she was hoping for the resurrection. She was there, very sad, without hope, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because the Lord whom she loved so much had died, had been crucified. So, obviously, she, she said to 
Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, presumably St. John mm-hmm. himself, they've taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So grave robbers was her presumption. Right. And that was upsetting to her. Uh-huh. You know, she wanted to pray at his tomb and, and to mourn. And so what did Peter and John do? They ran to the tomb to investigate. Now, were they thinking that Jesus had risen from the dead? I don't think so, because at the end of the gospel that I just read, it says, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Right. In any event, John ran faster. Of course, we know he was younger. He uh, arrived there first. He looked into the tomb. He saw the burial cloth, but he didn't enter, mm-hmm. and he waited for Peter to arrive. And I think that's because he was deferring to Peter. Peter was the leader. Right. You know? So John let Peter go in first, and then John followed him into the tomb. And what did they see? They saw the burial cloths lying on the shelf where the body of Jesus had been laid. Well, it would have been very strange for grave robbers to unwrap Jesus's body before taking it away. John tells us also that he and Peter saw the cloth that had covered Jesus's head rolled up in a separate place. Well, that's even more strange Mm -hmm. because if you would have robbers that would take the trouble to leave the head cloth neatly rolled up and placed apart from the other cloths. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. So obviously something unprecedented had happened here. Something mysterious had happened. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that St. John the Evangelist had previously written about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Hmm. And think about what happened at the raising of Lazarus. That's not in the other Gospels, by the way. It's only in John. When Jesus called Lazarus forth from the tomb, remember, Lazarus came out, and what does St. John tell us? He came out tied, hand and foot, with burial bands, Mm -hmm. and his face was wrapped in a cloth, okay? And what did Jesus say? He gave the order to unwrap him. But Jesus, who is not in the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, isn't bound by the burial cloths or the face cloth, nor did he need anyone to untie him. Right. Okay? So something radically different happened to Jesus. Whereas Lazarus, what happened to Lazarus? He was resuscitated to mortal life. Mm-hmm. He would die again. Well, Jesus's resurrection was not resuscitation. It was God raising him and transforming him to an immortal mode of existence, a glorified mode of existence. Death no longer had power over him. So I think it's good to think about these details and what it's teaching us about the resurrection, this great mystery of faith. Now, you know, we we read how John saw and believed. That's an interesting thing that when we read that, it doesn't say anything about whether Peter believed or not at that point. Right. Of course, John was the beloved disciple. 
But what did he believe? I think, I mean, we can only speculate. I, I think he did believe that Jesus was alive. But was it a complete faith in, as far as the whole truth about the resurrection? I don't think until he actually saw the risen Lord later that mm-hmm. evening. But, I mean, that's just, that's just speculation. Now, we're kind of left hanging. Like, what, what about Mary Magdalene after that? You know, and you think about that. Well, it's not until Easter Tuesday that the church has the gospel, the continuation of Easter Sunday's gospel. I always wonder why it's not on Easter Monday, but in any case, it's on Easter Tuesday uh-huh. where this account continues. And we can look at what happens, you know, with John seeing and believing, and then Mary Magdalene coming back. Okay. Before we get into that, uh, one quick question. So John sees the empty tomb and believes, doesn't say anything about Peter. It's possible that he saw the empty tomb and didn't yet believe. Is it possible that he had already believed before he saw the tomb? So the tomb didn't cause a transformation in him because he already believed? I don't think so. Okay. And I say that because at the end of the gospel, John says, they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Right. And I think if he believed, that wouldn't make sense. Very good. All right. If you have questions for Bishop, feel free to shoot us a text over at the Holy Cross College text line, which is 260-436-9598. And we'll continue to talk about Easter. Also, I'm kind of curious if the resurrection was necessary or how it's necessary and continuing John's account of Easter Tuesday, coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop, and we've been talking about Easter. This is still the Easter season going until Pentecost. And so taking a look at John's reflection, the Gospel of John, talking about the resurrection. So you said so you wanted to talk more about Easter Tuesday's Gospel. Right. And as a continuation of what we had just heard. Correct. Now, turning back to Mary Magdalene, we just heard that John saw and believed. And then we continue reading, which is chapter 20 of John's Gospel, verses 11 to 18. Okay. And it says, Mary Magdalene stayed outside the tomb weeping. So, okay, John and Peter had gone in. Mary stayed outside weeping. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and then reported what he had told her. After we hear that the beloved disciples saw and believed, again, we don't know if Peter believed yet, but but what about Mary Magdalene? Well, she also came back to the tomb, and she was weeping. And this time she bent over the tomb, and she didn't find it empty. She saw two angels in white sitting there, and they asked her why she was weeping. And she still was thinking that grave robbers had stolen the body of Jesus. So she said to the angels, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. Then she turned around and saw the man, a man whom she thought was the gardener. And notice what Jesus said. He, he asked the same question that the angel said, why are you weeping? Mm-hmm. And she thought maybe he was the one who had stolen the body. So she asked him, you know, if he did, and to let her know where he laid the body of Jesus. And the man that she thought was the gardener called her by name, Mary. And at that moment, she recognized he was Jesus, and she called him what she always called him, Rabbi, Rabboni in Hebrew, teacher. And she tried to embrace him. And that's when our Lord told her not to, because he had not yet ascended to the Father. Mm. That's something that a lot of theologians have talked about, why, you know, what that means. Well, it seems to me the best explanation, it would be inappropriate for Mary to hang on to him, mm. to cling to him as if he was like he was before. Mm. He had not just been resuscitated. He had not just returned to his previous life. Things were changed. I mean, everything was changed by the resurrection. So now she has to enter into a new relationship with him in which he no longer would be with her in the flesh, but would be present to her through the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, something new, something radically different, radically new happened to Jesus. And there's an explanation, probably the best explanation, of what took place in Jesus' resurrection is from none other than Pope Benedict XVI. Uh So I have a quote here. He wrote, Jesus' resurrection was about breaking out into an entirely new form of life, into a life that is no longer subject to the law of dying and becoming, but lies beyond it, a life that opens up a new dimension of existence, end quote. Mm. I use that quote in a lot of Easter homilies this year, by the way. So think about it this way. This was an historical event, the resurrection, but it was also an event that transcends or surpasses history. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So it really happened in history, but in its innermost essence, the resurrection of Jesus was his passing over to another life. It was a transcendent event, a transcendent intervention of God himself in creation and in history. This was something that had never happened before. This was something new and unprecedented, something outside the world of our experience. That's why contemplating the resurrection is contemplating a a mystery. I'll often say to young people, I preached about this both at Bishop Dwenger and St. Joseph High School in the last week, Uh and I, I compared it to what they're studying in their science classes. And I invited him to think about it this way. And this is from Dr. Chris Baglow, who is at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. He's both a theologian and scientist. And and he wrote in his book the following, and I really love this. He said, from the perspective of physics, the resurrection is the elevation of matter to a new way of existing beyond what is possible in the normal state of the universe. From the perspective of biology, the man Jesus belongs totally to the sphere of the divine and eternal. Now, in God, there is a place for bodiliness, which means that human beings now have a place in God's life. Hmm. So, the resurrection does not contradict science because it's something beyond science. You know, you can't, right. it's not an empirical thing that can be studied. It's a, it's a new dimension of human existence. Hmm. It can be called the final stage of human evolution. That's why you notice oh, wow. in the scriptures, especially in St. Paul, what does he call Jesus? The new Adam, mm-hmm. okay, or the final Adam. So Jesus did not only die, he rose to this new and indestructible life. It's beyond biological life. It's not a life sustained by oxygen and nutrients, etc. The resurrection brings us to a new horizon in which things like matter and space and time are enveloped by divine love and power. Mm. I think you can think back, and we've talked about this on this show, that amazing stage in evolution when our human ancestors, the hominins, obtained intelligence and free will, the ability to reason, the ability to reflect upon themselves, the ability to enter into communication with God, this point where the hominins became human, became homo sapiens, okay? That's when God breathed a soul into them. Mm-hmm. God breathed a soul into them. That was a leap in evolution. Right. I mean, huge leap. Well, here we have another leap with the resurrection of Jesus. Another great evolutionary leap. That's what Pope Benedict called it, which I really like. He describes it this way. Pope Benedict wrote that the resurrection of Jesus is not an isolated event, but it constitutes an evolutionary leap. In Jesus's resurrection, a new possibility of human existence is obtained that affects everyone, 
that opens up a future, a new kind of future for mankind. So, really, the resurrection affects all of us. The resurrection of Jesus affects all of us. Because this evolutionary leap that he made is promised to us. It's promised to all humanity. You know, that's why, I mean, we profess this in the creed. We say we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Now, think about God. God is being itself, existence itself. God who created the universe has created this new dimension of human existence, a new dimension of reality. And this is what creation waits for. I mean, St. Paul writes about this. Creation is waiting for this last and highest evolutionary leap, for the union of the finite with the infinite, Dr. Baglow says, Mm. waiting for the union of human beings and God, waiting for the conquest of death, that's the hope of Easter. You know, we have this new kind of life that dawned in the world through the new Adam, Jesus. So in his resurrection, the realm of biological evolution has been left behind. And in Christ, humanity has leapt, so to speak, to a quite different place in which love is no longer subject to biology, but now supports it. Because biology always involves death, always. But with the resurrection of Jesus, the sovereignty of death has ended. Jesus has opened for us a new kind of life that is not restricted by biology, life that has left behind the rule of death. So what we're talking about is entrance into life with God, God who is love, God who is indestructible love. Hmm. This is so central to our faith as Christians. You know, we live in hope because we believe that death doesn't have the last word. We believe in God's immense love for us and a love that's stronger than death. We believe that Christ, who's risen from the dead, will raise us up. And that he, as we say in one of the prayers at a funeral mass, that he will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So we can look at the resurrection. Okay, it was a past event, the resurrection of Jesus. It's also a promise about our future resurrection. And, but it's also very relevant for the present. You know, in fact, already now in our earthly life, we've been touched by the resurrection of Jesus. And we already share in his new life, in his victory over sin and death. And of course, that happened when we were baptized. Because, and what do we call, and scripture speaks of becoming a new creation through baptism. So this is the new creation. When we were baptized, as St. Paul says, we were baptized into Christ's death. And we were buried with him. So that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the Father, we too might live 
in newness of life. That's what St. Paul writes. So when we were baptized, one thing we could say is the resurrection of Jesus touched our souls. Okay, we received his new life. You can also connect this to the Eucharist if I have time, okay. if it's okay. But I love to talk that because when we think of the Eucharist, most of us think of, okay, it makes present the mystery of Christ's passion and death. Okay, it's the Eucharistic sacrifice. And that's true. His, his passion and death become present on the altar, his sacrifice. But I don't think we think enough about how the Eucharist also makes present the mystery of his resurrection. Because what does he become in the Eucharist? He becomes our living bread. He becomes the living or the bread of life. Mm -hmm. So when we receive the body and blood of Jesus, we're receiving the body of the risen and glorified Jesus. And that's why we speak of the Eucharist as a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. I love the description by St. Ignatius of Antioch, you know, the second century bishop and martyr, when he called the Eucharist, and this, so this was obviously the faith of the early Christians, he called the Eucharist the medicine of immortality. Hmm. And he called it the antidote for death, kind of like a vaccine, okay? Yeah. The antidote for death. And he said, it's the food that makes us live forever in Jesus Christ. I mean, how often do we think of that when we're going up to communion? I think it's good that we do. Hmm. That the risen Lord is coming to live in us. You know, he gives us the grace in Holy Communion to live in him mm -hmm. and to be his witnesses, to be his witnesses of his love that conquers sin and is stronger than death. Okay, we've already risen with Christ in baptism. We'll have a foretaste of heaven in the Eucharist. I think in a way we can say we're experiencing this new dimension of life that I've been talking about. It's a new dimension when you think about the Eucharist because the appearances that we see and that we touch and that we taste are bread and wine. But that's not the reality, mm -hmm. okay? The reality or the substance, we say in philosophy, of the Eucharist is Jesus himself. So we need to look beyond the surface to see the deeper truth that Jesus is feeding us with his life under the humble forms of bread and wine. So we're nourished with the flesh of the risen Christ. And then at the end of the gospel, by the way, just going back to Mary Magdalene, what did she do? She went to announce to the others that she saw him, that Jesus is alive. And in a sense, when we leave Mass, we should go forth and proclaim in our words, but more in our actions, that yeah, Jesus is alive. We should live with that or witness to the fact that of the definitive victory of love, of joy and life over evil and suffering and death. Mm -hmm. That should be the Christian witness. Right. So there's a lot there. Yeah. A couple follow-up questions. One is Mary Magdalene refers to him as Rabboni. Mm-hmm. I can only think of a handful of times in the Bible, there might be many more, but they give like the original Hebrew or Aramaic. Is there significance to that? Yeah, I think sometimes 
the evangelist, I think, is wanting to make a point. In this case, I think the fact is that that was what she called him. Mm -hmm. So he just uses the original word that she used, Rabonia, making that emphasis. And I think there's other times where Aramaic, you know, because that's the language Jesus spoke, like Talitha kum, he said, uh, et cetera, that, right. that the evangelists are making a special emphasis on that because it is unusual. It doesn't happen a lot, but I think, I keep when Jesus was one of his last words on the on the cross, you know, Eloi, Elo, Lema, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So we have the original, actually, Hebrew there. And that's because I think he's quoting a psalm. Mm. And then you said that baptism and the Eucharist are both affected by the resurrection, but they're both instituted prior to the resurrection, a relatively short amount of time, you know, years maybe for baptism, days maybe for the Eucharist. So did that sacrament change at the resurrection, or was it, was it benefiting from the resurrection prior to the resurrection? Well, it wasn't celebrated before the resurrection. Okay. Because really the power only came through the Paschal mystery of Christ mm -hmm. and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. So, so in other words, not... when you look at baptism, it was Jesus's command before his ascension to heaven to go forth and baptize. Ah, okay. Yeah, so there were, they weren't, I mean, there was John's baptism was going on, uh -huh. but that wasn't the sacrament. Okay. And, and the same with the Eucharist. There's no evidence that the Eucharist was celebrated before Pentecost. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, they needed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right. So it's the resurrection, it's the Paschal mystery has to happen first, which is the passion, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So even though Jesus had talked about these things, or he himself celebrated the Last Supper, which I guess you could call the first Eucharist, but, but actually wasn't celebrated by the church until after receiving after Christ poured out his spirit. Right. That's why when they pierced Jesus' side, blood and water came out, symbolizing the water baptism, the blood, the Eucharist. That's when the church was born. So it was after that. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like we've talked about this before, but why didn't Mary and others recognize Jesus right away? Yeah. There's a lot of different opinions on that. Of course, Jesus is in this new state of existence. So he was able, to, for example, to pass through locked doors. Right. You know, he was able to disappear. Remember at the end of the Emmaus episode when they recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, he disappeared. So uh. he was in this new mode of existence. And it's also with his appearances. You know, we don't really know what he looked like, mm -hmm. but but it was obviously somewhat different if mm -hmm. they didn't recognize him right you know like you know why didn't they recognize him until he spoke or until he opened their eyes to to recognize him yeah but i think the point that's made there is it's the same jesus but it's in his risen and glorified state mm -hmm. in this new mode of existence it wasn't obviously apparent that he was in glory, like on the transfiguration. Right. You know, they thought he was I mean, a gardener. Right. Yeah. She thought he was a gardener or the disciples of Emmaus had no idea who this guy was who was walking along right. with them. Now, when Jesus appeared in the upper room to the disciples and said, peace be with you, they recognized him right away. 
Mm-hmm. So there he must have had the physical appearance that he had on Earth. Is it possible that was able to appear in different forms or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, when he appeared to the apostles in the upper room, I mean, they recognized him immediately. So he must have looked like when he walked to surf, but he also, you know, showed them his wounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's apparent. Now, I, I think he always bears those wounds. So mm-hmm. even when he appeared to Mary Magdalene, I think it doesn't mention in the gospel, I would just speculate that his, but maybe they weren't visible to her. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this is fascinating. I appreciate you breaking it down. I wasn't expecting to go uh, all these other places with that the multiple evolutions and stuff. That's fascinating. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for sharing this. I love this. talking about this. Yeah. yeah. And, and contemplating it. Yeah. Very good. Well, before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing, Bishop? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.